It is my absolute privilege to be here with you guys this morning. We are going to go ahead and jump into week two of our new series, which is, about, which is called Beyond Blessed, which is all about being blessed and what it means to be blessed and be good stewards in our finances. And last week, Pastor Michael kicked us off with a great message all about how we can choose to be generous on purpose. And the last two weeks are going to be pretty practical. We're going to talk some about, about debt and how to get out of debt. And we're going to talk about what it means to be generous as a church. But before we can make any changes like that in our finances or in our life, we need to learn what it means to be obedient in our hearts. And so that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. We're going to be talking about obedience. And so I decided to take a field trip this last week since we are talking about what it means to be good stewards in our finances, I decided that it would be a great idea to take a trip to Las Vegas, right? So I can learn exactly what to do. Everyone's pretty good out there. Um, no, I did spend the week in Las Vegas. I only gambled one time, and that was on a questionable prepackaged sandwich at a Hudson News in the airport the other day. Thank God it turned out okay. Um, we are gonna jump in this morning. We're gonna look at our theme verse in Luke. Chapter 11, verses 27 through 28. And we read, And as he was speaking, a woman in the crowd called out, God bless your mother, the womb from which you came, and the breast that nursed you. Jesus replied, But even more blessed are all who hear the word of God and put it into practice. And, and that last sentence there, for our purposes this morning, I like a little bit better in the NIV translation, which says, All who hear the word and obey it. And as we think about obedience, there are, there are certain sectors where we like to think about obedience, right? Like any parents want to think your children are going to be obedient children. I would like to think that, and sometimes they are. Other times, they are not. Uh, when we think about our dogs, like we want obedient dogs. We put our dogs in obedient school and we teach them, you know, to sit and shake paws not run away, all of those sorts of things. But when we think about ourselves being obedient, or being obedient, I often find we, we don't like to talk about that kind of obedience as much, do we? Right? Like, I'm a, I'm a grown-up. I want to make my own choices. I know what's best for me. I don't need to listen to anybody, is how we tend to think about it. But we do, and as Christians, we need to be obedient to God. So, so what is obedience? Well, here's how obedience is defined. It is compliance with an order, request, or law, or submission to another's authority. And, and as we talk about obedience this morning, we're going to be talking about what it means to live under God's authority. And there are two types of authority that, that we most commonly run into. And, and the first type is positional authority. Right? There are people who are put in positions where they're over us. Most of our first experience with that was our parents. Our parents are in a position of authority over us, or if you're a kid, they're still in a position of authority over you. Then, then we go off to school and we have our teachers who kind of like rule the day during the school day. Then eventually we have to get a job and, and our boss becomes that figure of authority. There's the government. There's, there's pastors in churches, and, and all these people are put in positions of authority. The problem with people in positions of authority is, is none of us, none of them are perfect. 
I know that because I'm in a position of authority. I have four kids, and I screw that stuff up all the time. <laughs> My mom's here. When I was a kid, I just assumed as a parent, like, there's a book or something, and you know exactly what to do. Turns out nothing could be further from the case. When, when we had our first daughter, I thought I was a great parent because she slept when she was supposed to sleep. She ate when she was supposed to eat. And, and then we had our second kid, who is a great kid but was not the easiest baby, and he did not sleep when he was supposed to sleep and did not eat when he was supposed to eat. And so I was like, oh, no, I'm not a good parent. I just happened to have a good baby the first time around. And, and as my kids have gotten older, I've, I've messed it up time and time again. Uh, two years ago, our family goes on vacation to the Outer Banks every year. We just went again in September, and it's something I look forward to. Like, I cannot wait to get out the door. Like, like really antsy. So like all good dads, what I like to do when our family is going on a road trip is I like to set an arbitrary time at which point we will be out the door. It's arbitrary because I have an entire week off of work. There's no reason we have to leave at 7.30 a.m. other than I decided we have to leave at 7.30 a.m. And like a typical household, the, the packing goes really well because my wife is mostly responsible for it. Like I pack my own stuff, socks and underwear, all that, that's on me. But like the kids' stuff, the family stuff, her stuff, that's largely on her. Until it gets time to pack the car. Now we're in my domain, all right? I'm playing Tetris. I'm going to be able to see out that rearview mirror. Everything is going to have a place. It's, it's going to be incredible. And I also have this like, little list of things that need to be done. Like We're not going to leave the gross kitchen trash in the inside trash while we're gone all week, right? So that has to be taken out. So I have this list. Sometimes I share it with my family. Sometimes I internalize it and just get mad at them for not reading my mind and being able to do what they're supposed to do. And this was the case two years ago. It's 7.15, I'm running down my list, I'm running around like crazy. Um, and also, as like a bigger guy, like I don't like to be the stinky person in the van, so I'm trying to like take that shower right before we go. So everything, like pack the car, go take a shower. And we're getting closer and closer to time to go. Remember, this time I made up, doesn't matter. And I'm getting more and more frustrated because, frankly, the kids just aren't carrying their weight, right? Like, they're in the back of the car. My kids will get in the car so early, which sounds great, except they're not helping inside the house. They're with their pillows, their blankets, they got their snacks, their iPads, you know, myriad of screens, they're ready to go. Like, they're already on vacation, and I'm trying to leave for vacation. So I'm getting more and more frustrated, and it's, you know, it's coming out, I'm like, you know. And so my, one of the twins, Hudson, who was seven years old at the time, he comes up and looks up at me, and he sounded exactly like the parents in Charlie Brown. It was like, uh, what? Mm, and I'm like, I'm getting more and more frustrated, and it, I'm starting to take it out on him. He's just trying to ask me a question. We're not going to be ready to leave on time. I'm just like, I can't understand you. Speak clearly when you're talking to Like, I'm a real jerk in this moment. And so... He looks up at me one more time, and I kind of like look down and listen, and he, he just looks up with direct eye contact, and he goes, hey, Dad, having a tough day? <laughs> and, and it broke me, because no, I'm not having a tough day. I'm about to leave for my favorite week of the year, and we're going to leave at 7.35 instead of 30, 
instead of 7.30, and, and that just kind of broke me in that moment, right? Like, I had to apologize for the way I was acting because we're not even on vacation, and I'm ruining vacation for everybody else, right? And so I had to apologize, hey, you know, this is, you guys are doing great, this is on me, did I leave a few too many things for the last minute? Who's to say, but yes, I did, and I'm sorry, and I'll do better. And people in positions of authority make those kinds of mistakes, or, or frankly, sometimes they're just not looking out for our best interest, right? There, there are people in positions of authority who, if we're honest, don't really deserve to be there. Like, I do, even though I get grumpy sometimes, have the best intentions for the way I want to raise my kids and for how I want to treat my kids. Not everyone in a position of authority has that, and maybe you've experienced that. And so when I say obedience, you, you wanna take a step back and you say, hey man, like, I don't have to listen to anybody. I'm gonna make my own choices. The other kind of authority there is, is mastery. People who have such a great understanding of a subject that, that we, we should listen to them. There's, there's industry leaders, which is why I spent the last week in Las Vegas. Um, I am the worship director here at True Life, uh, but to actually make money, I sell houses. I'm a real estate agent. And so I went out to learn from agents who are better than me at what I'm doing. They, they understand the market better. They understand sales better. And I get to accelerate my learning by going and sitting under their teaching because they have already made the mistakes, and now I get to learn from them. There are doctors. When we're sick, we want to sit under a doctor's authority because, frankly, WebMD's authority is terrifying. It's always worst-case scenario on WebMD. So we want to go to a doctor. If you're a millennial like me, there's a pretty good chance that there's a podcaster that you listen to who you think of as an authority on a subject. You know, whether it's entertainment or something within your industry or what's going on in the world. There, there's someone you identify with and, and they take the time and they study so you listen to their authority. If you're younger than me, it's probably a YouTuber. It's probably some guy who just stares into a camera and says stuff about video games all day. I don't know what kids watch on YouTube. Um, if you're older than me, I don't know, like a newspaper or a telegram, don't know what you guys really do for your information either. But, but there's someone you listen to who's an authority on a subject. And authority in this world is imperfect, and it has the potential to, go, to cause hurt. Whether that's the person's intention or not, we, we have all been hurt by authority at a certain point. We've all been let down by someone in authority. But when we talk about submitting to God, he is perfect in his authority. His, his position as, as God, and, and if you're a believer, as our Father, he, he loves us perfectly, and, and unlike me as a parent, he knows exactly what to do all the time. And, and as the creator of the universe, he has complete understanding, complete mastery over everything we could go through. What better authority to submit to? And so this morning, as we talk about submitting to authority, as we talk about what it means to be obedient, we're going to look at three different things before getting into some practical application. And the first thing is that obedience is a choice, not a feeling. Obedience is a choice, not a feeling. 
In 1 John chapter 2, verses 5 through 6, we read, But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. And that's what I want, and I think that's what a lot of believers want. We want to live in obedience to God. We want to measure up for his calling on our lives to live the way that he tells us to live. But it's not always easy. This verse isn't on the screen, but I often feel like the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7, verses 15, who says, I do not understand what I do. Like, he's talking about the things he do, and he's basically like, don't even understand it myself, guys. Um, what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And how many of you have had that experience? You have the best of intentions. This happens a lot every January, right? We decide how we want to live for the next year. And about three days later, we're kind of like off track, right? We have the best intentions. Here's what I want to do. And, and here's the things I hate to do. I'm going to stop doing this, start doing this. And, you know, typically I think they say it's about two weeks you live out your New Year's resolutions. Like, we're, we're not good at, at being disciplined and doing exactly what we want to do. And when it's something that's spiritual, I think we tend to take it a step further and we almost over-spiritualize it. We're like, my heart's not ready. Far be it from me to be a hypocrite. I'm just not going to participate at all. In Matthew 23, verses 27 through 28, Jesus is saying, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Now, I think it's important to mention the Pharisees weren't actually seeking to be obedient. They were seeking to seem righteous. But we do that same thing where we, we look at a verse like that and we say, God, my heart's not ready, so I'm just not going to do it yet. And, and I think that is especially true for those of us who are Americans. We have that American dream, that can-do attitude. We think that one day we're going to be in a better position than we are right now. And I'm not saying that's untrue. What I'm saying is that if we wait for conditions to be perfect and never get started, we're never going to get there. One of my real estate coaches says this to me a lot. Alex, done is better than perfect. Because I can take all my time trying to perfect a new thing, but if it's a new thing, what are the chances I'm perfect at it the very first time I try it? Right, almost zero. But, but if I get started, if I put in the work day after day and increase my mastery, improve in what I'm doing, I will get results that I'm not getting right now. Will I ever be perfect? So far, the case for me is no. I hope you guys are doing better than me at something, but no. Like, I play bass up here almost every week, and it's just like, man, some of those notes I play, they're not the right ones. <laughs> at least not for that particular song. They're writing a song, but not that song. But we think about these things, and, and we dream of the future because we want a better future, and we say, God, when that happens, I'm going to change who I am. When, when my finances are better, when I get a raise, then I'll be generous. 
You know, when, when I have more time, when things are less crazy, then I'll serve. You know, if, if my heart is really in it, then I'll set a time, side time and spend time with the Lord. But if we don't get started, that's never gonna happen. You know, a lot of times I think we look at scriptures like that and we think God is only gonna honor something if our heart is completely in it. But, but the fact is, God also honors what we do. He desires obedience. In Jeremiah 17.10, it says, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind. He's searching our heart. He's searching our mind. It goes on to say, to reward each person according to their conduct and according to what their deeds deserve. God wants your heart. He wants all of you. But our first step is a step of obedience, right? Our first step probably isn't to feel it in here, but it's to step out in faith and say, God, I'm going to do the things you're asking me to do, and eventually I think I'm going to feel the way you want me to feel. I promise that God's word will not return void in your life if you take that first step of obedience. If you choose to do it, even when you don't feel like it, you will start to make the progress you're looking for. So what do we need to be obedient to? Well, this is a, a Sunday school answer, uh, but God's word, right? Everything in the scripture, which I know it's, it's a pretty big book, several books, um, and there's a lot in there. So to get started, I would start with this. The, the two most important commandments, Jesus said, are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And the second one is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. So if you commit to loving God, to spending time in God's word, to spending time in prayer, and to treating those around you the way you want to be treated, I promise you that is a great head start. The, the second thing we need to be obedient to is the Holy Spirit. Now, God's word is for everybody. It's the same for all of us. We, we as Christians should submit to those things. The Holy Spirit, it can be more individual. He can, he can speak something into your life. Now, as a way to measure that, it will always align with Scripture. So if you think the Holy Spirit is telling you to do something and it doesn't align with God's Word, that's not the Holy Spirit. If you think the Holy Spirit is telling you to do something and it aligns with God's Word, is it the Holy Spirit? Most likely, but if you're wrong, you're still fine, right? You're living according to Scripture. So those are the things that are more specific to you. Has God put a country or region on your heart? Has God put in your heart to be generous, to give towards a certain, a certain cause, whether it's here at the church or some other charity? Has God asked you to give up your time and to serve, to lead a small group, to go over to children's church, to play up here on the band, whatever it is, God is speaking to you individually. He's prompting you to do something. Be obedient to it. Number two, we need to understand that obedience is a bridge to blessing. The second part of our theme verse in Luke eleven twenty eight, Jesus replied, but even more blessed are all who hear the word of God and put it into practice. If we are obedient, God is clear in the scriptures, we will be blessed. Now, what I want to caution you with is that God promises the what not the how, right? When, when I hear 
evangelists on TV and they say, just, just sow this amount of money into my ministry and you will be blessed beyond your wildest dreams and your finances. I don't believe that's necessarily true. You might be. Now, what I'm confident is, is if that you're obedient and, and you manage money the way God says to manage it, and I don't mean tithing by that, although that is important. I mean setting aside savings for the future, not, not being controlled by your desires for a new thing, but stewarding the money that God has given you well. Your finances will be in a better position than they are now. But I can't promise it's gonna be like for like. I can't say, give your money and you'll get more money. What I can say is obey God and you will be blessed. I know there's people in here today that are waiting for a specific type of blessing and you feel like you've been obedient. During the 21 days of prayer, I would come up here and just look at all the prayer cards and, and the number of people who are looking for their finances to improve. There were a lot of those. There, there are people who, who want to be blessed with a child and so far haven't been blessed with a child. There are people who are praying for themselves or for someone they know that their health would improve, that they would be healed. I don't know how God is gonna answer those prayers. All I can promise you is that I'm willing to pray with you. I'm willing to pray for you. I'm willing to walk through it with you. Everyone on staff and so many people in this church family are ready to come alongside you as you wait for your blessing. And we'll encourage you to be obedient along the way, not so we get that one specific thing, but so that God will bless us, who will bless our entire lives. The third thing is obedience is contagious, right? Obedience spreads. In Acts chapter 16, verses 29 through 24, this happens after Paul and Silas have been in prison and, and they've, been, they've been singing, they've been worshiping the Lord and, and the prison shakes and, and the doors fly open and they decide to stay right where they are. And after this happens, we pick up in verse 29, it says, and the jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He was scared they were gone. He said, he then brings them out and asks, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately, he and his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Paul and Silas were obedient to what they felt the Lord wanted them to do, which was not to run, but to sit there and wait for their appointment with the jailer. The jailer asked what he must do to be saved, and it's not just he that's saved, it's he and his entire household, because obedience is contagious. One of the best stories I've heard about this um, was told by a guy named Scott Harrison. Scott Harrison created a charity called Charity Water, which brings clean drinking water to those who don't have it. And Scott grew up in a Christian home and and just felt really hard done by because his mom was, was very sick. Her, her immune system was 
basically gone. And so before Scott would go in his house, he would have to, to change his clothes from what he wore to school to, to clean clothes that could be in the house. He couldn't wear anything scented. Everything was non-scented in his house. And so by the time he got to be 18, he said, enough is enough. I've lived to help someone else. I'm living for myself now. And so he moved to New York City, and he became a, a very well-known club promoter, like one of the top 10 in the city. And, and his job was to throw parties, right? And to make sure everyone was going to the coolest club, was wearing the coolest clothes, that all the coolest celebrities were there. And, and as he was there, Scott became addicted to alcohol and to drugs and to completely living for himself. He said one of his lowest moments was when he threw a party and there was a, a large cover fee and they said, uh, a percentage of this is going to be given to a charity and they used the charity's name to promote the party. And, and when they were done, they divvied up the money between those who promoted it as much as they possibly could and gave 1% to the charity. The, the lowest possible percentage they thought they could give and say we gave a, a percentage. And so Scott decided after 10 years of living for himself, he needed to live for other people. And, and so he, he sold everything he had and he just started kind of wandering and he was looking for a missions organization, someone that would take him so that he could go and serve others. But after 10 years of living for himself, no one would take him because he would fill out these applications and it would say, do you drink excessively? Do you smoke as many packs a day as I can? Right, like he was not the perfect candidate, but finally he found a place who was willing to take him. And, and his job on this trip was to, to go on a big ship that took doctors overseas so that they could give up their vac vacation time to go and serve those who need it, to, to help heal people. And he was responsible for telling their stories. And, and as he was there, he realized that we're giving these people all this medicine, all these things to help them. And, and they're taking their medicine with dirty water. And, and the water itself was what was making them sick. And he said, I can help solve that problem. And so he created a charity. And his goal with this charity was to give 100% of public donations towards projects that would bring clean water to people. And when I say 100%, I mean 100%. If you give money to Charity Water on like an American Express card, they will reimburse the processing fee so that 100% of the money you spent is deployed into the field to bring clean water to places. And, and one day he was at a crossroads. He had $800,000 in the account for clean water, but he had no money to pay his people. He was gonna miss payroll. And all his friends told him, hey man, just write an IOU. But he said, if I take one penny from that account, if I am disobedient in this one thing, nobody can trust me. And so he was ready to shut it down and to just donate all the money to people who are bringing water. But he had one meeting, did not think it went well, thought the guy didn't like him. Two days later, he gets an email from that guy. Hey man, I love what you're doing, you just need more time. I wired a million dollars into your other account so that you can pay your people. Gave them 12 months of runway. And, and they started doing these water projects and Scott started going around and, and telling his story. 
and, and his second year, he decided on his birthday, you know what, I have everything I need. All my needs are taken care of. So instead of for asking for things, I'm turning 33 years old, I'm going to ask people to donate $33 to bring clean water to people who need it. And he raised, I don't remember, around $20,000. And, and that made two wells in, in two different communities that need it. And as Scott was obedient and he went around and told his story, he spoke at this one particular church. And there was a girl in this church by the name of Rachel Beckwith. Rachel was eight years old. She heard about Scott's obedience and said, I wanna be obedient too. So she said, mom, I'm gonna give my next birthday. When I turn nine, I'm gonna ask my family and friends for $9 to help give people clean water. Her goal was to raise $300, which would provide clean water for about 15 people. Rachel fell a little bit short. She raised $220, which for a nine-year-old is like an unimaginable amount of money, right? If you're nine, think about all the things you can get for $220. Now like triple it because this is way before the pandemic and inflation went crazy, right? Like so much stuff Rachel could have had. And Rachel told her mom, Mom, next year I can try harder and I'll be 10. That's like an extra dollar from every person. Next year I can get to $300. Unfortunately, Rachel was involved in a 20 car pileup on the highway of which she was the only fatality about a month after her birthday. Scott tells the story. He remembers getting back off of a plane from Africa and his phone has just blown up with text messages from Rachel's pastor and her family. And they said, we want to honor Rachel's legacy. We want to reopen the campaign. In lieu of flowers, we want people to donate $9 to bring clean water to those who need it. And so they opened it up and, and people started to give and it started to catch on. And where she lived in Seattle, the local news picked it up. And then from those local news stories, the national media, it got their attention and Rachel's mom went on Good Morning America and other morning shows to talk about her daughter and to talk about how they were just trying to honor her legacy by giving people clean water. And then from the national media, it went international. And Scott remembers it getting picked up in Europe and then it gets picked up over in Africa where quite a bit of the money was gonna be sent. And people from Africa are donating to this little girl who passed away. Eventually, 60,000 people donated, $1.2 million. That brought water to 143 communities, 37,000 people in Ethiopia have clean drinking water because Scott was obedient and then Rachel was obedient. And then 60,000 people were obedient and decided to sew in $9 or more to help bring clean drinking water to those who need it. There are people who are now older than Rachel was when she died who never had to drink dirty water because of Rachel. Her mom and grandparents went on the anniversary of her death one year later to see the water projects. And Scott tells the story that he remembers women just running up and falling on their faces before her mom and saying, we know what it's like to lose our children. We feel your pain, but because of what your daughter has done and because of what you guys have done, we don't have to feel that pain anymore. Thank you, thank you, thank you. See, Rachel 
was beyond blessed. But Rachel didn't fully realize that while she lived. You know, a month after her birthday, after she raised that $220, she knew there were about 11 people who were gonna get clean water, but that, that money wasn't put out into the field yet. The difference hadn't been made. But when God says, if you're obedient, there will be a blessing, look at that blessing. Because we know that through her campaign, $1.2 million were raised. But what we don't know is how many of those 60,000 people decided to donate their birthday to charity. And how many more people were impacted. Or how many podcasts Scott has gone on and told that story. And someone like me, who I donated a birthday to Charity Water, I've given to Charity Water because of a story like Rachel. Obedience is contagious. If you're one of those people who is in a position of authority, if, if you're a parent, a boss, a friend, I urge you, listen to what God's telling you to do and be obedient. I don't know what the blessing is going to be, but I know it's not gonna be kept with you. It's gonna spread around to all of the people. Obedience is contagious. So, practically, what do we need to do to make sure we have that level of obedience in our lives? Number one, fall in love with God's word. In Hebrews 4.12, it says, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. God's word is alive. If you don't feel like it in your heart, sit down with it anyway. Memorize it. One of my favorite verses, Psalm 119.11. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Fall in love with God's word, and I promise you your heart towards obedience will change. Your attitude towards who is the authority, is it you or is it God? God's word will change your heart. It will change your mind. Number two, make the decision now. Don't wait till you're in that moment when you're deciding between being obedient and not. Make that decision in your heart right now, whatever decision it needs to be. Maybe it's that you need to be more involved, you need to join a small group. Maybe it's you have to put in your calendar a time and a place where you're gonna meet with Jesus each day. Or maybe it's your finances. Maybe you feel like it's out of control, right? Finances are a math problem Obedience is a heart problem. Make the decision now about how you're gonna to choose to live. If you need help in your finances, we as a church are doing something for kind of the first time. We, we've taken a small group and we've separated it away from the normal semester to give you a chance to respond to this series. And so I'd encourage you, if you need help in that area of your life, sign up for Financial Peace University. It launches October 16th, which is a week from tomorrow, and it will go from 6 to 7.30. Be obedient now. If you need to be there, take out your calendar and put it in October 16th and set it recurring for every Monday, and then be obedient to your calendar, right? Be obedient to the choice you're making right now. You can sign up at truelife.church forward slash FPU. The cost is $89, and, and we think you should pay for it so that you have some skin in the game. 
But if that is not something you can do or you can't completely do, there is an option online where you can make a partial payment. So if you need to be there, don't let finances be the thing that keep you out, right? So make that partial payment and True Life Church, we're gonna meet you the rest of the way. We'll take care of it. And what I would encourage you is if that you do that, maybe next time, once you've cleaned up your finances, maybe you could scholarship somebody else. Let the blessing go beyond you. The last thing we need to do is we need to be accountable. I can't tell you how many decisions I've made in here and told nobody about, and then when it comes time to be obedient, I don't do it because no one's gonna know. No one's gonna know I wanted to change but didn't. So make that decision today. Who's someone you can tell about the choice you're making? What area of life are you gonna put under God's authority for the first time so that they can pray with you, pray for you, that they can say, hey, you're living the old way because we'll mess up. I don't expect you to be perfect from this point on, but I do expect you to try and I promise you will be so much better if you do it with somebody else. Be accountable. I'm gonna invite you guys to stand and to bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm sure for someone in this room, the choice you need to make to be obedient to for the first time is to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life. If that's you and you don't have a relationship with Jesus yet and you want to, would you just raise your hand so that I can see you? We're gonna pray. And if that's you, you can just repeat after me. You don't have to do it out loud. You can just do it quietly. Dear Jesus, I choose to make you Lord of my life. I choose to come under your authority. Thank you for saving me. God, I promise to live my life in a way that honors you and to share my faith and let the blessing go beyond me. In Jesus' name. Amen. And with your eyes still bowed, or head still bowed and eyes closed, if there's an area of your life that you have not been obedient to the Lord, that you're going to give up that authority and live under His, if you've made that decision already and you're going to be accountable, would you just put your hand up? I see Him. I'm just going to pray a prayer for you. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I pray for all those today who are choosing to be obedient. God, I don't know what the blessing's gonna be, but I know that the blessing's gonna come. I pray that you would strengthen them on their new journey. Lord, that you would give them a tribe of people to go through this life with so that they can live in obedience together. Lord, I thank you for those decisions that were made today. It's in your name we pray. I have just a couple quick announcements for you before I turn it over to the worship team to close us out with a little worship. If you made that decision today for the first time to make Jesus Lord of your life, we would love to know about it. If you would just grab the connection card from the seat back pocket in front of you, that is your best way to communicate with us. You can check the box that you made a first time decision for Christ, or you can write a prayer need on it. We'll get it to our team and we will pray for you. If you want to honor God through your giving, we would love for you to do that. If you're a first-time guest, this service is our gift for you. There is no obligation to give. But if you're choosing to honor God that, that way, 
you can give using the envelope located in the seat back pocket in front of you and place it in one of the kiosks in the lobby, which is also where you can deposit those connection cards, or you can do it online through our app or text to give. We'll be back tonight with um, our life track, life track step two, which starts at six o'clock. Life track step two is all about learning what your spiritual gifts and personality are so that you can find the best place to serve. We would love to see you there. And finally, if you're a teenager in sixth grade through 12th grade, come out tonight at 6.30 for motion. I'm sorry, I think life track is at five. I probably said that wrong. Um, but youth group, definitely at 6.30, come out for motion, wear a church-appropriate costume, and get ready to have lots of fun. I'm going to pray a quick prayer blessing over you, and then the worship team is going to close us out. Thank you so much for being here today. Dear God, Lord, we love you. God, I pray for all of those here. I pray that we would be obedient to you, that we would look for your blessings. God, I pray that that obedience would be contagious and that we would see your blessing explode all over this church. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name.